we're going to start and I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, uh, Lord, there's a lot that you, Holy Spirit, would do something special in the hearts of all of us through the book of Ephesians and explicitly today through uh, chapter 4. In your mighty name, amen. Okay. Hey, uh, hello to those at home. How are you doing? Everybody in the middle row, can you wave your hand in the air? You don't even have to turn around. They'll just be like, oh, look at those hands. I feel loved. Hey, um, Ephesians 4. Do you remember I did Ephesians 1 uh, three weeks ago? Funny that. I did Ephesians 1 a few weeks ago, and I might have made the comment that Ephesians 1 was a little bit of a struggle for me because it felt reasonably on the light side. It was a very much an introduction. Do you remember? Ephesians 1, it's a, you know, hey, this is who I am, and this is what's happening. Uh, and then Ephesians 4 is the polar opposite. Just do a bit of a touch of it. We're going to be like, we're going to be like a buffet today, right? We're going, I'm just picking the things that I like, and you're just going to have to eat that. Is that Okay. But, but um, if you, you know, the cool thing is, is you can take this restaurant home and you can devour it over time, right? So you can read and be like, oh, he skipped this one. Why did he skip that? It's because I only have 35 minutes to try and get the whole point across, okay? Uh, And you know the cool thing is about buffet, you can get really specific. Um, I was in Fiji with some friends at the start of the year, and in the breakfast, we had the same breakfast every morning, and then I have to be honest, by like day wanted, I wanted those cherries, I wanted like four chocolate croissants and a pile of bacon. That's, that's all I was having. And like four coffees over two hours. And I was like, I'd figured it out by about day three and I just kept repeating. I was like, yeah, okay. All right. Hey, so chapter four. You might remember from the first week we talked about how chapters one, two, and three we're kind of like the first part. Ephesians, like Paul does in a lot of the Pauline letters, he breaks it into parts. The first one uh, is one to three, and that's mostly about doctrine. Uh, it's mostly about theology. Theology is just that fancy word about the study of God. Uh, and then chapters four, five, and six, which we're starting today, um, are more about the practical outworking. So we are going to get into the practical stuff today. Now, I know for a fact that there are a vast majority of people here today. Some of you have been a Christian longer than I've been alive, which is only 20 years, so it's fine. Who was that? I'm not 20. Um, Times two. Um, And some of you have been around churches and theology and you've gone to Bible college. You know a lot. But also there's a whole bunch here who are on that journey. Maybe someone invited you here today because they said there was going to be croissants and bacon and they lied to you. No, I'm joking. Uh, But maybe you're here this morning and you're just like, well, I don't know why I'm here. And so you're mostly adults. So this is what I'm going to ask for you guys to do today. Is that okay? I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you guys to be responsible and wherever you are in your faith journey, you take something. Right, So um, if you've just been here five minutes and you're just figuring out this God thing or this is your first time at church, all I want you to do is take away one or two points. But if you've been in church for a while, you love God and you know God, I really want you to just try and grab something and take it away. Cool? All right. Now, these two together, they are, there's a hinge word between chapter 3 and chapter 4. The word is therefore. And whenever you see the word therefore, do you know what you have to ask? What is therefore, therefore? Sorry, dad joke. But it is. That's the hinge. He talks chapter 1, 2, and 3 all about the theology. This is the richness. 
the abundance that you have in Christ. This is why, how, when, what in chapters 1, 2, and 3. 4, 5, and 6 is, okay, let's do it, buddy. Right? So are you ready for some practical? Now, we're not going to go through all of it. Again, it's a bit of a buffet. But um, it's a little bit, it can feel a little disjointed. Someone who went to performing arts school, I like to, when I do my sermons, I like it to be beautifully crafted with a flow here and then a flow here. And this, this because we're going through exegetically, we're going through as the Bible goes. Sometimes it might feel like it jumps up and down, but that is what it is, and it's amazing. And Ephesians 4 is fantastic. Ephesians 4 is probably in my top three chapters of all time. Anyone else love Ephesians 4? One hand? I love it. It's cool. All right, let's dig into it. So we ask, what is the therefore therefore? It is the hinge into chapter 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul, who's writing this, he's in a Roman, oh, Felix is coming to see me. No, he's not. He's not coming to see me. He is a prisoner of the Lord uh, in a Roman prison. uh, And he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, we know probably by um, deduction that the church in Ephesus, and certainly like the church in uh, Corinthians, the Corinth church, when he says, I urge you to live a life that is worthy of the calling you have received, he's saying that because they're not really living a life that is in the is worthy of the calling they've received. So we're going to hear, and certainly in chapter, uh, sorry, in verse 2, it says stuff like, um, uh, so yeah, there's the context there that they haven't really been doing that. So in verse 2, he says, be completely humble and gentle and be patient. Do you think the Ephesians have been humble, gentle, and patient? No. If you remember, the, the Ephesian church in Ephesus uh, has been a hodgepodge, a mixture of cultures, ethnicities, um, groups from all over the place. And they've been kind of taking a little from here, taking a bit from there, bit of theology from the Roman gods here, bit of Greek god stuff here. And it was kind of an epicenter. And they were watering it down. Do you remember? Watering it down. Um, And so he says, be humble, be gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now let's take this out of its context here and apply it to us ourselves, which we're allowed to do. Be humble, be gentle, be patient, and bearing with one another. I love that word bearing because if I broke my ankle on the hilltop and I was with Pastor Lyndon, um, he would bear my weight, wouldn't he? He'd carry me. I'd probably be on his back and be like, whoosh, whoosh, go, pony, go. <laughs> I'm a bit taller than you. My legs might drag along the ground. That's not nice. But that bearing one another. Wave your hand in the air if someone has ever bared your weight in your life. Someone has come alongside you and helped you, put an arm around you, lifted you up and carried you. Anyone else? Come on, that's right. A lot of us have been there. So it's a real encouragement. Make every effort, effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. Every effort. It's an effort. So there's a few things here. Bearing one, one another in a unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So, unity, what we learn is unity uh, is an effort. It can be tough. Whenever we try and get churches together, people are like, the churches should be more combined and more unified. Yes, we should be. But there's always a cost. You know, someone has to go, 
uh, who's going to preach? Who's going to do worship? Oh, you, you're going to worship with your hands up in the air? Mm. There's always a sense of um, effort that's involved in unity. So unity is an effort, but the tool for it is peace. And you might go, well, yeah, Dre, I, I, I know that, that, that peace is important in that. But there's a difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Who's heard this idea before? There's a difference. I've, said it, I've talked about it. A peacekeeper, a peacekeeper might sound like the right thing, but a peacekeeper will keep the peace at any cost. A peacekeeper will avoid the hard conversation. A peacekeeper will not have the conflict resolution that's needed to have. A peacekeeper will do anything they can so there's not a sense of um, conflict. Right? They'll often avoid conflict because it's like, oh, let's just try and keep the peace where we can. Right? Who knows some people like that? Don't look at anyone if they're sitting next to you. And on the flip side, we have peacemakers. The Bible says, uh, blessed is the peacemaker for they will inherit the earth. A peacemaker is someone in love with a bond of peace and gentleness and kindness will go and make peace. Now, sometimes making peace is an awkward conversation. I don't know how, someone asked me, what's pastoring like? I was like, it's just a jar full of awkward conversations from week to week. Uh, and, and we have to be confident uh, in having awkward conversations. When we do our CLDP each year, I say, who loves conflict resolution? And usually only one onto it smart person puts their hand up and everybody else is like, mm. and I'm like, oh, so you love conflict, do you? And then they're like, oh, oh no, I like conflict resolution. So we should all love conflict resolution uh, and maybe not conflict itself, but yeah. So we need to be peacekeepers, the Bible tells us. Now, in this chapter 4, there's a couple of things that we've named over the last 2,000 years of church history, right? You following along? We've got this one, which is the seven ones. Does anyone know what the seven ones are? Oh, okay. And then the next one is the fivefold ministry. You might be familiar with that. The seven ones, Paul talks about this. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. When you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all. There's seven ones up there. Why is Paul doing this? Remember the context? He's speaking into a situation where there isn't oneness. Can we agree? There's disunity. And so he speaks oneness. And you might be sitting here going, oh, that silly church in Ephesus, we would never do that. Uh, well, guess what? We do. Right? We love to make divisions. We love to put things in boxes. So we sometimes, we have our theology, right? And we go, no, we're all one together. But then we go, well, actually, it's fairly simple. There's some black and white stuff. We've got dogma, which is like the six or seven different things that all churches, all Christians believe, you know, uh, that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, he died and rose, rose to heaven, uh, that virgin birth, that type of thing. But then there's doctrine, it's black and white. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. We've got doctrine, which might be uh, a particular church or branded church might think that, you know, you have to be baptized to be saved or the Holy Spirit looks like this or the Holy Spirit doesn't work like that. Then you've got opinion. Your opinion might be this or your opinion might be that. Or the political view. And here's really interesting. The first century Israelites missed, a lot of them missed the Messiah, 
Why? Because they had a political view that they thought they'd know what the Messiah looked like. They thought that the Messiah, Jesus, would come, the Messiah would come um, to have a political revolution, right? That he'd come on a, on a horse, he'd be the leader, a warrior leader in an army, and he'd lead them away from the oppressive Romans, uh, a political thing. So it happened then, it happens now. Maybe you're a church that wants more word-based. Maybe you're a church that's more encounter-based. Maybe you want to talk more about end times. Maybe you'd rather hear more about prosperity. There's a thousand and one different ideas, theologies, doctrines, and opinions you could put up there. You're starting to see that it's getting a little more fragmented. We're not that great at being one body, one spirit, one church either. And that's not even to mention um, denominations of churches. You throw denominations of churches in there too. Then all of a sudden, <laughs> it's starting to look a little full on. We've got Baptists and Anglicans and Reformed and Open Brethrens and Salvation Army and Pentecostals, Lutheran. That's just a few. And then that would be fine. Like there's nothing wrong with being diverse. Nothing wrong with that. We make, God made the body different, right? He didn't make a little toe the same as your eyelash, eyelid or your eyelash. That would be creepy. We can all agree. But the problem is this, is we don't just go, hey, look, you can do your thing. We love to draw lines. And they're not often straight lines. They poke into other people, right? And we go, this is our thing. This is what we believe in. You're out of there, so you're wrong. You're wrong. It's not actually accurate. Paul said one. Paul says one church, one body, one spirit. We can be different, but we're unified under the banner of Christ. Different is okay. Let's celebrate different, but let's not pick on different. I love what he says at the bottom there. So one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Paul's saying, hey, stop getting confused and saying they're right and this is wrong and there and this and we're going to do this differently. It's one God, one baptism, one spirit, one hope. And then at the bottom he says, who is over all and through all and in all is Jesus, right? It's like a thread woven through it. So instead of that first picture, I think it should look more like this. Okay, instead of this, more like this, woven together with Jesus over it all, right? Banner together under Christ. All right, fivefold ministry. That's next in Ephesians 4. Who's familiar with the fivefold ministry? Right, so in Ephesians 4, it talks about these five things that Paul mentions. Now, you can read about spiritual gifts, depending on who you talk to. There's seven to nine or seven to 11, depending on who you talk to. Um, and they're found everywhere from Colossians 3 to 1 Corinthians to Romans 12. And so there's seven to nine of those, seven to 11. But Paul specifically mentions, and they are individual gifts, but Paul specifically mentions in Ephesians 4, this is one fact you can remember if you can come away, someone say, what did you learn at church today? You'd be like, uh, the fivefold ministry is in Ephesians 4. They'll be like, wow, so learned. Okay, so fivefold ministry he says this, and the fivefold is for the church. Listen to the language. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Our tagline here at Cornerstone is building people, building communities. So I'm all about this. 
I love this. This is exciting. I want to take a couple of minutes to unpack this idea for you. Is that okay? I want to pull it apart a little bit. Again, because I'm the one with the microphone, we're having a plate of bacon. Is that all right? You can come back and eat like a kale-infused charcoal flat white if you want to later. But right now we're eating bacon. Or um, uh, tofu for those vegetarians in the house. Okay. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, I'm going to pick on uh, prophets for a second to explain an idea. Um, And I'll pick on prophets because I've been in church leadership for a while now. And I've learned that there's not too many people putting their hands up and saying, I'm an apostle, or I'm an evangelist, or I'm a pastor, or I'm a teacher. But I have heard across different churches and denominations, a bunch of people say, well, I am a prophet. I'm a prophet of the Lord. So let's, let's just take that for a second. Let's pick on uh, prophecy for a moment, though it, it adheres to everything. Generally speaking, if you are a son or daughter of Christ, if you choose to follow God, uh, you um, turn and, and you, you repent and you're, you're in God's love and you've been uh, baptized by the Holy Spirit and you love God and you're serving God, everybody can have the gift of prophecy. Everybody. Now, what I know is that many of you, and I know many of you personally, can, um, can operate in the gift of prophecy. Occasionally, you'll be praying for someone and someone gives you a picture. God gives you a picture for someone, uh, a word, a Bible verse, and, um, and that can be really cool. Maybe it doesn't happen that often, but everybody, let's just agree that everybody can have access to the gift of prophecy. But there's a second tier. They're not hierarchy, but it is just good to understand. The second tier is this. Um, operating in the gift of prophecy. Now, that might be people like myself, maybe Pastor Lyndon, Pastor Mike, um, Matt Parrington over there, uh, Willie Liotta, others and other people in the church that have a prophetic gift, recognized here locally, and are given the opportunity to speak words of life over people that they feel God has given them. Um, And so not everybody's in that space, but there are a bunch that do that. And then there's a third category, and I tried to make it like proportionately the same, but it's kind of not, uh, is this, is the office of prophet. Now this is uh, um, the office of prophet. Now here's a, little, here's a little hint. If someone says to you, I'm a prophet, <clears throat> run. <laughs> uh, it, it's a red flag because a prophet doesn't need to tell you that they are. There'll be others that will say, hey, that person is recognized as a prophet. They are recognized with a prophetic gift. Now, the, the prophecy has to come under submission uh, to the whole church, right? So a recognized prophet, a person who's in the office of prophet, um, is somebody that has had years of experience, often decades. They are recognized by their church movement or their church, uh, and some of them are even ordained members um, of the New Zealand Clergy Council as just Uh, Not just, but as prophets. Do you understand what I mean? People who come in, who everybody's like, yeah, it's like a, they're like, if we all are doctors, this person is the specialist, okay? You don't want the podiatrist looking at your eyeball. You want the eyeball person. What's that called? I should know this. Optometrist and the other levels, right? It's something more than that. There's an eye doctor here being like, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. (laughs) 
But you, there, there is someone with a specific gift, and it's the same with um, evangelism, uh, someone who holds the office of evangelism. It is their thing. Often they do that full-time. Often they'll have disciples. They'll have people, apprentices underneath them. Do you guys understand the difference? Cool. And do you know what? Like the office of prophet, for example, I only know like two. And of all of the pastors and people I know, there's very few. And actually, if I could say and be honest, I think our movement and many others could do with a few more. So if that's you, come talk to me. Right. What I wanted to do is help you. I wanted to help you. If you're sitting here going, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what this looks like. A couple of explanations. I'm going to give a couple of faces that you might recognize that might be helpful Hopefully you'll see these and you'll go, oh yeah, that makes sense. I do know that that person is like that. So um, this is not necessarily indicative that every prophet is just like this person or operates like this. There's a spectrum of evangelists. There's a spectrum of teachers. So here we go. Um, The first one I would say uh, really go to is our national leader of the Acts churches, uh, Pastor Sam Monk. Um, leads 60-odd churches in New Zealand and then another 20 churches overseas. Um, and maybe at a slightly lesser level, um, Sheridan Rogers, who comes here, he's our national, no, our overseeing minister, um, and has a whole bunch of churches that he looks after. These are people, apostles are someone that sees the big picture and gets a large group of people moving in the right direction. Um, you know, I, I just want to dispel something. You know what people, you know what we love to do as Christians, well, as people? We love to make hierarchy. Oh, apostles first. That is the anointed one. I want to reach and attain the title of apostle because it's first and it's the boss of them all. Well, no. All service, sorry, all leadership is service. All leadership is serving. So there is no hierarchy, though these guys, you generally find people who operate in the gift of apostleship are often leading large organizations, not because someone gave them the the title of apostleship later, but rather that's who they are anyway, and they lead like that. Next one, prophets. Now, uh, Pastor Kristen Williams, who's come here a few times, I think you could make a case that he's probably not in the office of prophet, but someone who operates as a prophet who's a pastor. Uh, Great prophetic words, um, and he does a great job. And there are people in this place here that are like that. Then you've got Steve McCracken. Anyone ever heard Steve McCracken? He's got some crazy um, skill. Him and his father, they lead McCracken um, Ministries in Australia. Um, Very onto it and very well recognized. uh, Years of experience uh, prophet. So um, those are a couple of examples. Evangelists. There's our friend Lucky. I won't be weird and be like, everyone say hi, Lucky. Um, and you might be going, well, Pastor Dre, I don't think Lucky Takoha is an evangelist. Well, you look at that list and tell me what he is. And he, he's a good reminder that an evangelist like the rest of them can be on a spectrum, doing different things within that thing. You know, he's in the marae. He's in the gangs. He's in the prisons evangelizing. Lucky is amazing. If if I rang Lucky up and said, oh, I've got this guy Horatio who lives in Waikikamukau, um, would you call him and go see him? Um, Lucky, a thousand percent, would go, yes, give me Horatio's number, whoever that is. And he would go to Waikikamukau and meet with this guy because he has an evangelist heart. Um, who's familiar with Daz Chettle? Anyone familiar with that name? Uh, he's probably your more stereotypical evangelist, which I find hilarious to say 
because he's covered in tattoos. Um, but he's, you know, he's probably more of a street evangelist, uh, and he teaches evangelism. So there's a couple of examples of an evangelist. I'm picking on a couple of people here. Um, this is Pastor Michael Brown. He is on our board of trustees here at Cornerstone. He is, uh, was my overseen minister and a bit of a spiritual father for Hannah and I at our last church. Lovely guy. A pastor to the pastors. Maybe not like an up-the-front alpha leader, but just a real heart for people. Like this guy has got a real heart for people. He's going to be here a few times next year, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Then he got Pastor Linden. I better say something nice now. Um, and uh, no, well, I you know I can operate in pastoral giftings. Absolutely, you couldn't be leading a church if you can't. But I'm so blessed, and you're so blessed to have Pastor Linden, who this is his gifting. He's operator. He's just like love on love, love and energy on a stick. This guy, he just loves everybody. And um, um, sometimes he'll whack you with the... No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, but those, those are some pastors. And then we'll quickly get into teachers. You've got Shane Willard and Steve Graham. These guys just know the word, love the word, and can give the word to us in lots of different ways. Okay, so now we're going to talk really quickly about what do they mean specifically together. All right. So the body of Christ may be built up. Everybody say built up. There's a building up. Okay. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors. I was walking around with a hammer, and I realized this is quite an intimidating thing to be walking around a group of 200 people with a hammer. And only some of you looked concerned. You're like, he's from Hamilton. We should be careful. Okay. All right. Apostles. The fivefold ministry has been talked about being a hand. And what I'd like to talk about today is taking a little bit further and point out what some of the digits could, might, sort of be like. An apostle. Apostle's like the thumb, right? Kind of grabs it all together, keeps it in alignment. And when you hammer stuff, you can kind of use your thumb. It's coming from the thumb, a bit of direction, right? If, if the fivefold ministry is a hand, the apostle is the thumb. A prophet is the pointy finger. <laughs> a prophet is the person that points out what God is saying and God, what God is doing, right? Wraps around right underneath the, underneath the apostle. The evangelist. It's the middle finger. <laughs> I'm, you don't, you laugh. You're, that was you, not me. No, this is what I was thinking. If this is sitting here, the first thing I grab with is my longest fingery appendage, which is the middle finger. The middle finger is the first touch. It's touching first. And yes, sometimes evangelists can be a little pointy, and you can draw the other conclusion with the middle finger. Okay, no, I'm joking. I love evangelists. They're great. Pastors. And when you need a big swing, pastors are like the little pinky at the bottom, supporting the weight, supporting us all, with us, for us. I know that if I pick up the phone at three in the morning, if he's awake, Pastor Linden's going to answer. Pastor Michael's going to answer. These are, these are pastors, and if I said to him without, I just, if I just said, Linden, you need to come around to my house at three in the morning, I think he'd just come, I hope. Yeah, I should test that and be like, Linden, it's three o'clock in the morning, come to my house with a blow-up giraffe, uh, chocolate 
twist and a steak and cheese pie and see if he turns up. Okay, so pastors, they're there for you. They're there to support. And then teachers, they're like the ring finger. They marry everything together. They bring us all together, our opinions, our theology, all around the Word of God, all around the Bible. Now, you might have noticed today I'm trying to use lots of pictures because Ephesians 4 can be quite meaty. And if nothing else, you'll go, man, Dre did a really... Like, I pushed the limits with PowerPoint last night. And poor, um, um, poor Jeanette, I said, I've got, I think this is a record for the amount of PowerPoints we have. And we've got more to go. Fivefold ministry. So one thing we're going to do over the next couple of years, um, hopefully a lot sooner than that, in the next year or so, here at Cornerstone, is we're going to make a five-fold collective. We're going to identify five people in the church that really carry that gift. They're either in that middle section or they're operating at that top section as an office of that. And each one of those individuals is going to be given or they're going to try and find two or three apprentices. Because I think the church will be stronger if we've got all five operating at different levels. So, um, for example, we're going to have um, the pastor will definitely be Pastor Lyndon. That's his gift. Now, um, underneath him, likely, when I've already checked, it's fine, is uh, Stefan Yobia. Uh, and because if you know Stefan, he's got a pastor's heart, hasn't he? He's got a real loving, caring heart. He'll bring you around. Who's ever been to their house for a meal? Wave your hands in the air. It's a bunch of you. I'm surprised you didn't stand up and be like, all right, who didn't I get? <laughs> uh, and I'm picking on you because here's the thing. When I say pastor, most of you think church leader. That's not typically what that means. The pastor, the better word from the Hebrew to the English is shepherder shepherd person, person that shepherds and loves people, and will have evangelists and teachers. Uh, so that's really encouraging and really exciting. So watch this space. Um, I'm away for a few months. If you could just organize that, thanks, Lyndon, while I'm away, that'd be great. Verse 15, we're carrying on. We've skipped a wee bit. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow. Everybody say grow. Look at that, growing. Grow to become in every respect the mature body of who is uh, who, of him who is the head. That is Christ. For him, the whole body, joined together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up. Presence was our first cornerstone. If we don't have God's presence, Jesus at the center of it all, if the main thing ain't the main thing, then what is the thing? Jesus is the center of everything we do. Holy Spirit in the middle of it is our. Uh, as our anchor. Verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, I'm skipping again, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to, be on the new, uh, to, be, and to put on the new self, created to be like God and true righteousness and holiness. When you decide, many of you have made this decision, but when you decide to give your life over to God, you hand over the old man or woman. You hand that over and God gives you a new thinking, a new self. I remember when I got saved, two years after I did, my friend that um, we had a big falling out and we caught up again and I think I've shared this story before and he said to me, I don't really believe in the Bible, but looking at your life, I can tell that something extraordinary is going on. Because you're not the angry, addicted, 
punk that I used to hang out with. There's something else going on here. Maybe I'm still a punk occasionally. No. But there's a change. There was a new man. And, um, you know, who? Be, let's be honest. Who struggles sometimes? I'm not always perfect. I'm not always the fresh new version of me. Occasionally I find the old rotting finger or something like that on me. Is anyone else? Is it just me? Yeah. You give me a fright in the middle of the night. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> but the old youthy, punky, Hamiltonian version of me pops out. Um, if I see something that I don't like, I, there's an aggression that I have to actually calm down. I hope he doesn't mind me telling this story, but I was talking to Pastor Lucky Tukoha, and he was saying, look, I'm really good. I've come a long way in five years. But he said, man, I'm still working on stuff. He said, I had this person come up to me and said, I hate you at church, and got right up to me and poked me in the chest four times. And I laughed because I was like, I knew where the story was going. He was like, it was at that point I realized I, don't, I haven't got rid of all the old man. <laughs> and lucky to Koha is not the guy you want to be banging in the chest because you think that nothing's going to happen. Um, thankfully, one of the pastors ran over and could see the situation unfolding. And he said, look, I'm, I'm just being honest. I'm not proud of it. But he said, that's what was rising up inside me, the old man. All right. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. I try to do this every night. I'm laying in bed. Hannah's normally asleep. I'm laying there and I will just go, Lord, is there anything that I need to ask for forgiveness for? Is there anything I need to let go of? Man, I'm not holding stuff on overnight. I'm not going to. I mean, sometimes you do, but you try not to. And do not give the devil a foothold. Everybody say foothold for me. There's nothing wrong with a foot. Nothing wrong with a little foothold. Often footholds lead places. The devil loves a foothold. He gets his foot in the door. Look at that picture, which looks kind of just fine. It's just a foot. And then there's something semi, like if you've watched enough thrillers, there's something kind of semi-menacing about that, right? The foot in the door. And then the hands come in, not that you can see that, and pry the door open. See, if we're not careful, Paul's reminding us that if we're not careful, footholds can turn into strongholds. Please, please, I ask you, I ask you to be careful with the little things. Don't let the little things turn into big things. Go through your life and do a bit of an account. I'm going to be honest for a moment. I'm a pastor. They say that there are the three G's that often will take pastors off course. Does anyone know what the three G's are? Gold, glory, and girls. And apparently if you're a Texan, gums. I don't, don't quite get the joke, but that's what I was told. Um, and so, you know, with those three things, I have short accounts with different people. They're not any of them a particularly big issue, but I won't let them be an issue. Um, I won't let them. I've got, I've got overseen ministers. I've got friends. I've got pastors. I've got staff and workmates and family that can keep me accountable to stuff. Um, for example... Um, I wasn't sure I was going to share this. Yep, sweet. I looked at it. It's fine. <laughs> Hannah's like, wait, you just looked at me. That wasn't a thought. Yeah, that wasn't a, an approval. Um, I, I just, this is nothing to do with you, ladies of the church, but I just, I won't go and hang out with you one-on-one. It's nothing to do with you. 
Okay? It is just me being very careful that someone doesn't say, I won't drive in a car, generally speaking, maybe family slightly different. But it's just me being very careful. Uh, and it's the same with my finance. It's the same. It was like, yeah, I won't go there anyway. But I was like, you know, I, my finance and my um, and glory and all that stuff, I'm, I just want to be open and honest and not let that be an issue. And so um, I remember years ago, I said that from the front. I was like, hey, um, there's no offense to anyone, just my blanket rule. And thankfully, I have a great staff who kind of helped me with that. I can just text them and say, hey, could you come with me to a meeting? But I had one person came up to me, a female, and she said, what's wrong with you that you can't be alone with another woman? And I was actually really annoyed. I was like, there's nothing wrong with me. I mean, there's something wrong about you. But I'm like, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm just trying to keep, make sure that the devil doesn't get a foothold because that door ain't even open, buddy. That door's not even open. And I remember thinking, hey, that's really dumb that a, that a, that a, that a guy is trying to put something in place and you're kind of mocking him about it. Um, so don't do that. All right, 29, we're almost there. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Who occasionally lets some unwholesome talk out of your mouth? So thank you, Michael. He got up there first. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Man, we need to shut our mouths sometimes. Right? I think often for Christians that have been around a wee while, we get the no sinning this and no doing that and doing this. But sometimes, man, we love a good gossip. We love a good mouthy off at somebody. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. We've all got family. Most of us have workmates. And if we're not careful, we can let unwholesome things, slander, discrimination, bullying, verbal abuse, come and they rain down on the people around us. And it just keeps on coming. Lies, anger, sexism, profanity, racism. And then before you know it, you're just heaving crud onto people. That is not, what the Bible says we should do as Christians. Paul's saying, come on, guys. And clearly they must be doing this for him to address it. Rather, I think of a sieve. I think of a sieve. Um, or a, what's the C word? It's almost the same thing. Colander. Calendar? Coriander. No. <laughs> a sieve. And I ask the Holy Spirit to be my spiritual sieve. Who else needs a spiritual sieve in their life? Because guess what? Sometimes stuff does come from here. The old man does come from here. But if you put the spiritual sieve in place, stops it from getting from here to here to onto the hearts of others. So instead of what it looked like before, it could look like this. And you've protected the people around you. But it continues, right? It says, um, but only what is helpful for building others up. Man, what would your life look like what would your marriage look like? What would your workplace look like? What would your family look like? If you just had that sieve in place and every day you and me were intentional about our words. Right? We were intentional when we, we flowed things like encouragement, affirmation, love, hope, forgiveness, and a whole bunch of others there. <laughs> Support, uplifting, inspire, favor, praise, exalting, prophecy, faith. All of those things onto people. What happens over time? It just floods your whole environment. 
I think there's a few, I don't want to pick on anyone in particular, but I think we can all agree Susie's a good example of this. I call that getting Susied. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? This overflow of love and encouragement. There's many of you in this room. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander. You might look at those and go, well, that's not me. Come on, let's be honest. At times, who has a good verbal brawl with your spouse? Back and forth for the sake of trying to win. Or your family, or your mom, or your dad, or your kids. Or slander. All of that stuff is there. It's the old man. We've got to let the old man die, crucify it at the cross, and ask God to give us the new body. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ uh, God forgave you. Can I have the worship team up, please? See, Christ's love and grace and forgiveness is what? It's unconditional. So if we go back to that, what does it say? Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. God's love, grace, and forgiveness is unconditional, and so it should be for you also. I would argue, I don't think we always have the right to be right. It's very clear to me that we should forgive and be graceful, that we should love, and that we should offer forgiveness. Now, here's the thing with this. Occasionally, proximity, you might need to put proximity because if there's an abusive person, I'm not saying be around them and keep forgiving forever. But man, we sometimes hold on to being right for the sake of being, who loves to be right? Let's be honest. I'm the, oh man, I'm a terrible person. I'm the only one with my hand up all the time. Thank you. I love to be right. And often when you're having a brawl, if you're having a discussion, you're having a conversation, you're less concerned about being connecting and understanding and more about being right. You don't have the right. God says, let it go. I forgave you. I want you to forgive others. Stand to your feet, please. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. What does that look like on your life? Hey, so a few things from today. Recap from chapter four. We gotta keep the main thing, the main thing that is Jesus. That whole idea of, you know, all those boxes up there. No, 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 let's just have Christ at the center. Is that something that you need in your mind and in your thinking today? What about that idea that Paul unpacks? Unity comes from peace. And you need to be a peacemaker. And stop being a peacekeeper all the time. Do you need to watch your mouth? Not looking at anyone in particular. Are you letting words of encouragement and faith and building up? Or are you pulling people down and having unwholesome talk? Ask the Holy Spirit for a sieve. I think that's how you spell sieve. I didn't know. Fivefold. Is it there to build up the church? Is that something in your heart that God's unpacking? 
Or is the Holy Spirit right now talking to you about watching out for the footholds in your life so they don't become strongholds? It is God asking you to forgive. That's them all there. I don't know what you're going through. I just know that God weaves together in time and in space amazing stuff. You are not here by accident. This is not the Scripture that was by accident. I'm not the guy speaking today by accident. So I'm sure if we're mature, there's something that God wants you to hear, wants you to know. Can you just stare at that for 30 seconds? Just ask Holy Spirit to highlight one of those points for me. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are all full of the abundance, the richness of the theology of what we believe. What are you doing with the riches is what Paul is saying. Are you walking in it? What do you need to do? Who do you need to ask help from? Father, Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd speak into our lives. I pray that everyone here might have one point. Write it down in their phone. Write it down in their Bibles. Write it down on a piece of paper. And meditate. Think about this idea Father we pray that you do what only you can do help us to forgive help us to identify the footholds in our life help us to identify the fivefold ministry in our own lives and in church help us to identify the words that are not helpful Lord let us unify into peace and let us keep the main thing the main thing If you would like prayer on any of those things, um, I'm sure it's okay to come up at the end. We've already prayed, we'll pray again. But I'd love for you to just go, hey, on this one. You have to tell me because I won't remember, but you tell me which one it is and we can pray for you. Amen.